our Bible reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 8. So hopefully you've still got your Bible from when we did the kids talk part. Okay, so Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26, and we'll read through to verse 39. So Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons have gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Thanks, Robin. Uh, Thanks also to all of you you who have joined us this morning to to worship together and to hear God's word. Do you know, uh, it's quite interesting that many people today find it strange to believe in a personal devil, you know, to believe in demons, while some people see satanic forces at work everywhere. So you have two opposite uh, sides. In his preface to his famous screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis wrote, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. Friends, there's no doubt that some people go overboard in their fascination with the devil and the demons. Let me give you an illustration. It wasn't so long ago in a suburb of a large American city that a promising renewal took place among a number of uh, professional families, doctors, lawyers, and business executives. It gave birth to a joyous, thriving Bible study. More of their friends came to Christ. We're told that marriages were enriched, families restored, and the church was infused with new life. But some of the leadership became overly fascinated with the subject of spiritual warfare. They took their eyes off Christ to become self-styled experts in demons 
and exorcism. Things were clearly getting out of hand when one night they became convinced that there were demons in the dining room chandelier and ended the Bible study by dissembling the light fixture so each could take a part of it and bury it in a different part of the city. The crowning embarrassment to the Christian community came later when one morning some of their children were seen by neighbours running down the street shouting, the devil is going to get us, the devil is going to get us. Responding, the neighbours found the women's group in the backyard, hacking a rosewood chest to pieces to dispose of supposed demons. I tend to think, this is all going a little bit overboard, don't you? But if at the same time you find the whole concept of Satan's activity difficult to take seriously, tending to dismiss it as a fanciful or medieval thing, then you should note carefully the volume of biblical teaching on this subject. Leaving aside the Old Testament, it is significant that as soon as Jesus began his public ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So right at the beginning, there is a cosmic spiritual battle taking place and that Jesus is involved in. And in this episode in Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus transforming a demon-possessed man. The Bible doesn't deny it. People can be possessed by demons or evil spirits. The man is in the region of the Gerasenes on the southeast shore of the Lake of Sea of Galilee. We're told that Jesus steps ashore. It's a land with steepy, rocky slopes and many tombs. But I want you to notice, firstly, the miserable state of the man. And you need to realize that the devil wants to bring misery. He doesn't want to bring you life. He doesn't want to bring you hope. He wants to bring you misery. And he does it in a variety of ways, sometimes by possession. The man is naked, hasn't worn clothes for a long time. He hasn't lived in a house for a long time, we're told. He has lived in tombs, hair and beard probably grown very long and scruffy. A bit like we might look like during lockdown in a few weeks when you can't get to a hairdresser or a barber, right? Previously chained hand and foot, kept under guard, but so strong by the power of the evil one that he breaks his chains, driven by the demons into solitary places. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. Self-harm is part of the work of Satan here. Friends, it's a terribly sad picture of a human being, a creature created in the image of God. That is not how and why God created this man. He is like this because of the presence of demons within him, controlling him, damaging him, making his life miserable. But secondly, we see the power and the authority of Jesus. Jesus has power and authority over Satan. And Jesus immediately recognizes the work of the devil in this man and commands the evil spirits to leave him in verse 29. The man cries out and falls at the feet of Jesus, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. So the demons know who Jesus is, that he's the son of the most high God. They know he has power over them. They know that Jesus can deal with them. You see, before the Son of God, the evil spirits who have so ill-treated their victim and brought him down to the level of a brute were powerless and terror-stricken. 
they beg Jesus to take pity on them. And Jesus asked the man for his name. He responds with the word legion, for many demons had gone into him. Legion, although we can't be certain, seems to be a way of saying that a whole regiment of demons had entered him. You see, in a Roman legion, there are about 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen and technical personnel. I think you seem to be saying there is a whole mass of demons that have entered me. The demons recognized they must leave the man, so they begged Jesus not to send them out of the area. They were fearful of being sent to eternal punishment into the abyss. That's where they end up. They don't want to go there yet. They want to keep destroying people's lives. They crave to enter into people or other animals to exert an unholy influence. So they begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs that were feeding on the hillside. And the Bible says that Jesus permitted them to do this. They entered the herd of pigs. They rushed down violently down the steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. People raise two issues here. Maybe you've raised them yourself. Well, how do demons enter pigs? And why do pigs act in this way? Well, we don't really know how some of the, uh, the way in which demons work. We, can't really, we can ask the question, but we don't necessarily have the answer other than the Bible describes uh, the work of Jesus in this way, that they entered the pigs, they caused them somehow to go in, into the lake. But others see uh, another difficulty. Well, Jesus cures one man at the expense at the owners of the animals. They lose a lot of money. They're, part of their livelihood is gone now simply through healing one person. One person said, The freeing of the neighborhood from the peril and terror of this wild maniac was a greater benefit to the whole city than a loss of his hurt. But the people couldn't see that, could they? But the man is wonderfully changed. And when the man is changed, what was the people's reaction? Verse 35 and 37. Their reaction is fear. They are fearful. They have seen something completely unusual out of their experience, which leads to fear. Maybe afraid or maybe a superstitious fear that something unusual will happen again. Or maybe afraid of further disasters coming their way, further material loss. They see a disturbed person made well, yet simply they are fearful. How crazy is that? But what about the man? He is seated at Jesus' feet, dressed now, no longer naked, and in his right mind. And he begs to go with Jesus as one of his group. Jesus says, no, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Verse 39. In the parallel passage in Mark's gospel, it says, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Go home and tell everyone. It's interesting that Jesus, during his ministry, often silences the Jews whom he has healed or those from whom he has cast out unclean spirits. He says, just don't create a big story about this. Don't go and tell everyone, because I don't want everyone following me simply for a healing. But to this Gentile, he says, go tell everyone that Yahweh, the God of Israel, has shown you mercy. Get the word out to the Gentiles and non-Jews that the Messiah has come. And he went away 
and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Verse 39. And it's interesting, in the future when Jesus returned to that part of the land, he found a considerable interest in his ministry. I wonder whether it was because this demoniac had told everyone of his deliverance by Jesus. So what does Luke want us to learn from this passage? Firstly, that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God who has come like a victorious warrior against the community of the unclean spirits and their ruler, Satan. Jesus comes as a warrior. Now, casting out of the unclean spirits is evidence of the coming kingdom of God. Further, though, Luke wants us to see that in Jesus, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is present in both mercy and power to deliver those who are oppressed by evil forces. At the word of Jesus, evil spirits are expelled. The man is in his right mind. He is clothed. He is restored to his family, in contrast to the deranged man who had lived among the tombs. But friends, let me say as you consider that story, that Satan and demons are still active today. I was reading a book called People of the Lie by the psychiatrist M. Scott Peck. He said, I did not believe that the devil or evil spirits existed. He said, I went on a search for people who were genuinely possessed. I wanted to, to meet real people possessed to see if it was true. He said, I never believed it. I didn't expect to find any evidence until I faced cases of genuine possession. I was present at the exorcisms. He writes, I now know Satan is real. I've met him. Skeptical psychiatrists seeing Satan work in the lives of people today and see them delivered by Jesus. A few years ago, a frightened young woman rang me. She lived in a local area. She said, listen, there seems to be an evil presence in my room seeking to control me. I'm often pinned to my bed where I cannot move. I start to talk in strange gibberish language. My gear keeps moving from under my bed and spinning. I don't know what's happening, but can you please come to my room and pray for deliverance? Satan is at work. Jim Zimbala, uh, who is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, tells the story of a disturbed woman who was brought to church one day. And they, they brought her and she was quite disturbed. They didn't know what was wrong with her and whether it was satanic or some other matter. At the end of the service, as they invite people to come forward, she came forward and at a certain point, when they started to talk about Jesus, she lunged at him said, I was thrown backwards. Such was the power of this little woman. And so people gathered around and we, we pray for this woman and we cast out evil spirits. And then the woman relaxed and was in her right mind, was healed and restored. A Christian friend of mine uh, who was working as a counselor rang me one night, said, will you please pray? I said, what's happening? He said, I, I'm meeting with two women and uh, her friend has brought, uh, one friend has brought the other friend to see me for counseling because uh, their friend seems to turn, certain things happen and she turns into this bizarre person. And my friend said, I've just seen it. We're talking about her life and her background. When I mentioned the name of Jesus, 
Her face started to contort. She started to growl and groan and became angry. At that point, she said, I knew I was dealing with something evil. My friend got onto the phone to four or five friends while the other friend looked after this woman, asking for prayer because we were dealing with a spiritual encounter. But I don't want you to remember what you consider these situations. Point two, that Jesus crushed the enemy, Satan. See, Jesus dealt with our sin on the cross, but he also destroyed the devil and his power. John 12 says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Through his death on the cross, Jesus will drive out, Jesus will defeat the enemy, Satan. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, Jesus became like one of us, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Friends, Satan is defeated. Jesus has power over him. Trust in Christ who has defeated him. Trust in Christ for your forgiveness. Trust in Christ for your power to overcome the enemy, Satan. Satan can accuse you, but you don't have to listen to his accusations because Jesus has forgiven you and set you free from death and judgments. We have no fear in death because Satan is destroyed. We live in victory. If you would like a beautiful picture of how Jesus has defeated him, Colossians 2, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's the image of the first century uh, conquerors over the enemy, where you march them through your city to show that you have the victory. Jesus, I have done that to Satan, the principalities and powers by the cross. They are defeated. We need not fear Satan. We need to be aware, but not afraid. But what is Satan's attacking strategy today? Now, for some people, it may be possession, demon possession. But for most people, it won't be like that. But Satan will do whatever he can to stop you believing in Jesus. He'll do whatever he can to bring you down. He'll do whatever he can to make you like that man out on the hills, on that Gentile area, broken and miserable. You know, when I used to play uh, football in, in the old days, when I was younger and I could play football, and uh, I remember one time we were up uh, three or four nil. There's 10 minutes to go in the game. The victory is ours. They're not going to overturn that scoreline. But the opposition is furious. They know they are defeated. They know they cannot win the game. So they decided to cause as much damage as they could. They decided to play the man, not the ball. They wanted blood. They tried to break legs. They kicked, they punched, they abused until the final whistle. The referee had a tough game to referee in those last 10 minutes. But that's what Satan is like. Christ has defeated him. We're forgiven. We are free and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Our eternal destiny is secure. Satan doesn't like it. His final judgment is coming. And he doesn't like it. Until then, though, God lets him, lets him work until that judgment. And Satan is working to bring you down. He's working to bring me down. 
Let me give you some, uh, a summary of some of the things that he does that the Bible tells us about. Number one, he blinds people to the truth. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. You know, when people don't get the gospel, they don't understand Jesus' death and suffering, it's because Satan has blinded them. They cannot see the truth of the gospel. You know people like that? Or just yesterday or Friday, we, uh, we sponsored our, our post on Facebook to reach more and more people. It was fascinating the people who received the sponsored uh, Facebook post and didn't like it. And they told us on the website what they thought of it and how crazy we were to believe in a dying Savior. You see people all over the place who are blinded to the truth of the gospel. It doesn't make sense. But friends, it never made sense to any of us until God touched our lives. But secondly, direct attack. Sometimes Satan works through persecution. Do not be afraid for what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Sometimes Satan is directly involved in persecution. Thirdly, deception. The devil is the father of lies, the Bible says. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is the liar and the father of lies. Friends, Neil Anderson, in his book, The Bondage Breaker, tells the story of Alice. Alice was brought to one of his conferences. She was 26 years of age. She was thin and looked miserable and broken. She didn't look up. She had no confidence. She was deceived into believing she was a no-good failure and not a child of God. When Anderson spoke to her, he said, you need to begin to learn the truth of your identity in Jesus Christ. You will be free from the bondage of Satan's lies. So don't let the enemy talk you down. Don't let the enemy attack you by his deception and his lies. If you know Jesus Christ, you're a child of the living God. Jesus is your brother. God is your father. There's a place and eternal destiny prepared for you. God fills you with his Holy Spirit. You are a child of the living God. Don't let Satan deceive you. And then there's temptation. See, he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He tempted Jesus when Jesus walked upon the earth. And he tempts us. You know, he'll throw ideas and temptations our way. 2 Corinthians 10 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Friends, when ideas and thoughts and I are coming your way and they're not from God, take them captive. Reject them if they have nothing to do with God's word and God's truth. Evaluate it and resist it if it's not from God. But accusation. See, Satan is an accuser, Revelation 12 verse 10 says. Don't listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And I think Satan uses temptation and accusation as a brutal one-two punch. It goes something like this. Satan comes your way. And you know, he's going to tempt you to do something against God's word and God's, against God's will. And he says, why don't you try it? Everybody does it. Besides, you'll get away with it. Who's going to know? It's in the quietness of your own life. No one will see it. And then you fall to that temptation. You give in to sin. And then he changes his tune to accusation. What kind of Christian are you to do such a thing? 
You're a pitiful excuse for a child of God. You'll never get away with it. You might as well give up because God has already given up on you. You see, temptation when you fall, he then comes in with that second punch. It leads to perpetual discouragement and defeat. Friends, there are a lot of Christians who are constantly living uh, in this defeat rather than in the victory that is in Christ. And if you need help with that, you need prayer with that, let us know. We'd love to pray with you and, and guide you through the Word of God that you would live in victory, not in defeat. Someone might ask, well, what's the difference between the devil's accusations and the Holy Spirit's convictions? See, the Spirit's convictions lead to repentance, to a right relationship with God. You're forgiven. You go on following Jesus, you see. You stumble, you fall, God, God convicts you, you, you apologize, you confess, and then you keep moving forward. The devil's accusations, though, lead into sorrow and despondency, depression and doubting, doubting God's love. Be convicted by the Holy Spirit, yes, and then be obedient to God. But don't listen to the devil's accusations. He seeks to take away your life, your confidence in God, and your eternity. Let me conclude with these uh, beautiful words out of Ephesians 6. Because as we face the enemy in this life, God has given us weapons. God has given us an armor. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's always scheming. He always has a strategy. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. God takes the spiritual realm seriously. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the truth of God's word, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, the righteousness through Christ, and the righteousness of godly living. And with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, ready on the attack to take the gospel to the lost. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. As he accuses you, you to hold on to your faith in Jesus. Hold on to that shield. Take the helmet of salvation. You secure, saved by Jesus through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know the Word. You know how to use the Word to defend yourself against the accusations. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. Be alert. We are in a spiritual battle. Satan is real. Christ has given us a victory. And finally, James writes in these encouraging words, Submit yourselves then to God. That's your first step. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Friends, when you draw close to God and you're growing your relationship with God, when you're praying you're in the Word, serving Christ, witnessing for Christ, doing the work of God, it just frustrates the devil. He's going to go after someone else, right? And he will flee from you. What a great Savior we have. What great security we have through the finished work of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you that you're a God who is for us. You are for us through the death of Christ on the cross in our place. 
We no longer have fear of death. Satan is defeated. Our sins are forgiven. We are children of the living God. Help us, Lord God, to uh, not to ignore Satan, but not to give him too much credit either, but to be measured in our understanding, measured in our faith in you, confident in who you are and what you've done for us, that we would live victorious, Christ-exalting, Christ-honoring Christian lives. Lord, for anyone today who is struggling with temptation and accusation, Lord, I pray that you would help them to turn back to you, to trust in your word and your truth, not to listen to the enemy's lies, but to trust in your good news that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.